In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. When we look at the Gospels and we see the calling of the Apostles and the calling of the first Christians by our Lord Jesus Christ, we reflect that it was an event that radically changed their lives. For each one of them, it changed their whole life. Nothing was untouched by this call from our Lord. Of course, some things remained the same, but it was all given a new meaning. It was all put into a new context. We read in the Gospel of Matthew, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Lord, in this time of prayer, in this time when we direct our hearts and minds to you, it's good to see this example. It's good to see once again, these men leave all things and follow you. And the gospel names names. They left their nets, they left their boat, they left their father behind. Later on in our Lord's public life, in his teaching, he will say that this kind of attitude is important, not just for the apostles, not just for his closest disciples, but for anyone who wants to follow him. We read in the Gospel of Luke, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this is what those apostles did. They went all in, so to speak, in following our Lord. They sold out for our Lord. And if we put ourselves in the apostles' shoes, we realize that the way they related to our Lord, their personal relationship with Him, was marked by this radicalness. It was shaped by this radicalness. How they experienced our Lord's presence, 
how important he was to them in their daily lives, was really determined by this fact. They had left all things to follow him. They made him the center. Sometimes children have that daydream, that fantasy of running away from home, of leaving everything behind to go on some great adventure on their own. And perhaps in the more rebellious moments, they even threaten their parents with this. I'm going to run away from home. I heard of a comedian recently who said, when I was a kid, I threatened my mother. I told her, Mom, I'm going to run away from home. And she said, on your mark. Well, this is what the first apostles actually did. In a way, they ran away from home to be with our Lord. Their life became an adventure with our Lord. He became everything for them. They were his disciples. He was their teacher. He was their master and Lord. And our life as Christians is called to be similar to this. He should become everything to me. Lord, you should be everything to me. I am your disciple. You are my teacher. You are my master and Lord. And once they did this, in the days and weeks following their decision to follow our Lord, their lives with him became a common project, right? That they formed one team. They had one goal that they were all working towards. And it was a project, of course, in which our Lord set the agenda. How their days would unfold, where they would go, what kind of activities they'd be doing, all of that was determined by Christ. And so it came to be that, that anything that they did was either literally done with him or it was done as a result of his initiative. They were either physically with him when they accompanied him and helped him, or they were sent by him on missions and errands and tasks to prepare the way, to take care of the crowd, to go and buy food. And so their lives in those first days and weeks and months of their being disciples, being apostles, came to have a real dependence on you, Lord. You were their leader. You were the center. You had the plan. And since it was a divine plan, we're not surprised by this. It had to be this way. Our Lord had to be the linchpin. And so it's common sense that that prophecy would be fulfilled. The prophecy which says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. It's a prophecy that our Lord applies to himself. And it's fulfilled, of course, when our Lord is arrested in the garden and everyone runs away. Everyone leaves our Lord alone in his passion, alone on the cross, except for one, except for St. John. And we see the apostles lost without our Lord. After our Lord ascends into heaven, they, they don't know what to do. They're sitting there in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, waiting for God to tell them to do once again. In a way, they're paralyzed until the Pentecost. That would be a good letter, a Dear Abby letter. 
Dear Abby, Jesus left us. What should we do now? Signed, Paralyzed Until the Pentecost. She can write back, Dear Paralyzed, just hang in there. <laughs> He's coming. Lord, they left all things to follow you. Lord, we want to leave all things to follow you. Needless to say, we put ourselves in the place of those apostles that in those first few months of their vocation, Christ came to be ever more present in their thoughts, ever more central to their consciousness. Their lives are revolved around him. Maybe you've had the experience that when you have some major change in your life, that your dreams kind of lag behind. Where people get married and it takes them a while to start to dream of themselves as a husband or as a wife, to dream of themselves as being committed in this way, as being married. And then later the exception becomes that every once in a while they dream of themselves as not being married and that could be disconcerting. Those of us who have been ordained priests have had the same experience that it takes a while before one starts to dream of oneself as a priest, that you experience yourself even in your dreams as a priest. Ex-smokers are known to have this experience that they might dream of themselves every once in a while as smoking again. And they get worried and they wake up and they're, they're happy that it was just a dream. So I imagine the apostles at one point began to dream of themselves as apostles of our Lord. They became, even in their dreams, they became really identified with their roles as followers of Christ, with their roles as disciples. They always thought of themselves at one point in relation to him. They never were far from him, either physically or mentally. Lord, we want to have the same experience. We want to think of ourselves in terms of you. And this must have taken some getting used to for the apostles, this new life that they were always on. Christ was always with them. And maybe at times this is scary and difficult, the realization that they had to be an apostle every day, that Christ was always there. He always needed something. He always expected something. Even if it was rest, well, we had to rest when he wanted to rest. It's similar, I think, to the experience of first-time mothers and fathers. that They come to the realization that this never stops. I'm always responsible. I'm always on. I'm always a father. I'm always a mother. So too, Lord, becoming your apostle, becoming a Christian who followed you full time, had to become a, a habit, a habit of being. And this took some work. Old ways of thinking about themselves had to be left behind. Old ways of being, old personal habits had to be changed. Lord, help me to realize that I too am called to sanctity. I too am called to apostolate. I too am called to be a Christian. And so I too, Lord, should have the same experience, that I should feel called by you to always be on. That I'm always aware that you want something. 
I'm always aware that you're with me. I'm always ready to love you. And at times, this has to be heroic. At times, this will be heroic. This will be self-sacrificing. This will be very difficult. But not always. Perhaps most of the time, it's, it's not externally heroic. It's just the effort to keep doing what we're supposed to do with cheerfulness, with hope in our Lord, with joy. And to avoid, to avoid voluntarily checking out from life, checking out from concern for others, checking out from being with God, being in His presence. To avoid, to avoid different forms we might have of escape or self-medication, what the tradition calls seeking compensations, right? They seek compensations for the sorrows of life or from the difficulties of life. That we don't take breaks from God. We don't take breaks from being good. We want to be always on. We want to feel the blessed burden of always being a Christian, of always being a disciple. Lord, Lord Jesus, help us to see these first apostles and their experience as a model for our own vocation, a model especially for our practice of the presence of God. Lord, help me to realize that I've given my life to participate in this common undertaking with you, that you are a leader, you set the pace, you set the agenda. We too, Lord, would feel lost without you. We want you to be always present. So in this time of prayer, we can ask our Lord, each one of us personally, Lord, give me a greater sense that you're always near us. Give me a greater sense that you're always with us. Give me the sense that the apostles had that I'm either always doing things directly with you, physically present with me, or I'm being sent by you to do things, and so I keep you in mind. I want to do them as you've sent me to do them. I want to do what you've told me to do, and I want to do it as you would want me to do it. And this idea of living in the presence of God, of practicing the presence of God, it's important that it's not just auto-suggestion. It's not just something I do, a technique that I do to be more pious, or that I do to be more peaceful, or I do to be more whatever. Rather, it's, it's a practice that helps ourselves live more in the truth of the matter. The more we remember the presence of God, the more we're living, we're living in reality. Why is that? Because the fact is that our Lord really is with us. Our Lord is never far from us. Jesus says this before he ascends into heaven. Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. In his farewell discourse during the Last Supper, he says, those who love me will keep my word and my Father and I will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. In another gospel passage, our Lord says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So the problem with presence of God is not that we're fooling ourselves. It's not that God is really not there and we're just pretending or trying to think that he is. 
The reality, the task is just the opposite. The fact is Christ really is always with us. Christ and the Father do dwell within us in the state of grace. Christ really is in the midst of us when we pray. The problem is not that we're imagining things. The problem, the problem is that we're forgetting things and we don't realize it. We forget that our Lord is with us. We get distracted. We live for less important reasons. We make other things the center of our lives. We have other things on our mind. So Lord, help us to keep you foremost in our thought. Help us to try to share in this experience of the first disciples, of the first apostles. To make you central to everything I do, central to my identity, how I think about myself. To live in your presence. And how can we do this? How can we grow in the presence of God? Well, I think one way is to start by, by doing our times of mental prayer very well. With those times of silence, of recollection, when we enter into a dialogue with our Lord, when we contemplate Him, that we really try, to, well, try hard and make an effort to be in His presence in a very special way then. And if we do that, if we recollect ourselves, if we eliminate unnecessary distractions, if we find a good place, if we bring a good book and or the Gospels, if we really try to live in God's presence intensely for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a half an hour, maybe a couple times a day, well, then that effort to live in God's presence during those minutes will have an effect on the rest of the day. That intense presence of God overflows and makes it easier for us to remember God throughout the day. St. Jose Maria, the founder of Opus Dei, liked to use the analogy of heat in the house. Right, That in the old days, the furnaces would only turn on two or three times a day. And so you'd have the intense heat created by the, the furnace for a while, but then it would shut off. And the heat that was generated was enough to keep the house warm until the next time the furnace turned on. And he said, this is like our times of prayer. There are times where we turn the furnace of love of God higher. We turn up our intensity in our presence of God so that through the rest of the day, we can live more habitually in His presence. It can overflow like heat in the house. And here it helps us to use our imagination. We can't over-imagine, we can't exaggerate how, clo how close Christ is to us when we pray. This is St. Teresa of Avila giving advice to her daughters on how to pray. Since you are alone, you must look for a companion. And who could be a better companion and the very master who taught you the prayer that you are about to say. And so she's giving specific advice on how to contemplate and pray the Our Father, how to take the Our Father to prayer. And so the person who taught the prayer, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Who could be a better companion than the very master who taught you the prayer that you are about to say? Imagine that this Lord himself is at your side and see how lovingly and how humbly he is teaching you. And believe me, you should stay with so good a friend as long as you can before you leave him. If you become accustomed to having him at your side, 
and if he sees that you that you love to that you love him to be there and are always trying to please him you will never be able as we put it to send him away nor will he ever fail you do you think it is a small thing to have such a friend as that beside you and this is great advice and perhaps we can do this right now if you want imagine that this lord himself is at your side see how lovingly and humbly he is teaching you if he sees that you love him to be there lord we love the fact that you're in our life we love the fact that we find you in our prayer if he sees that you love him to be there and are always trying to please him you will never be able as we put it to send him away nor will he ever fail you do you think it is a small thing to have such a friend as that beside you lord we don't think it's a small thing we think it's a wonderful thing and so we ask you for the grace to remember you more often to keep you with us throughout the day or rather to keep ourselves with you because your presence lord is a given it depends on you and you've promised it behold i am with you always until the end of the age psalm 139 is a wonderful expression of god's presence in this psalm we see that god's presence is inescapable and it's something very close to us something very intimate the psalmist prays o lord you have searched me and known me you know when i sit down and when i rise up you discern my thoughts from far away you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways even before a word is on my tongue o lord you know it completely you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is so high that i cannot attain it where can i go from your spirit or where can i flee from your presence if i ascend to heaven you are there if i make my bed in shoal you are there if i take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea even there your your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast if i say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night even the darkness is not dark to you the night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you for it was you who formed my inward parts you knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! how vast is the sum of them i try to count them they are more than the sand i come to the end i am still with you
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Wonderful expression of how close God is to us, of how He's always with us. And, and especially, I think, of how He knows us intimately. He, he doesn't just know us from afar. He knows us from the inside out. He knows our thoughts. St. Augustine says this, that he says that God is more intimate to him than he is to himself. Right? God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. He's right there at the center of our being, at the center of our soul. And I think this is especially comforting, especially helpful during times in which we have thoughts that are that are unwanted or thoughts that we can't control or emotions that are unwanted or emotions that we can't control and get the best of us. Things that make us fall into anxiety or, or sadness to realize that God knows what we're thinking. God knows what we're experiencing. God's, God's allowing it for some reason. Everything he knows he loves. God is love. There's no difference between God's knowledge and God's love. And so when he knows our thoughts and when he knows our emotions and when he knows our problems and he lets them happen, he knows them lovingly. He knows them with love. Lord, there's nowhere we can go from you. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and stroll, you are there. And so we can ask for Lord, Lord, we want to live in your presence. We want to live with the sense. Give us the grace, Lord, of finding ways, finding reminders. We should look for little ways, little reminders of God's presence. We can have a picture, an image of Our Lady on our phone. We can have an image of Our Lady in our room different rooms in our house. We can have a crucifix in our bedroom, a crucifix in our pocket that we pull out every once in a while to look at, that we feel in our pocket, remind us of God's presence, reminds us, remind us of God's love for us. There's so many little ways of living presence of God. We can try to live the custom, the spiritual practice of saying frequent aspirations, frequent little prayers that we take from Scripture or from our own dialogue with our Lord or from the saints that we can repeat throughout the day to direct ourselves to God who's always close to us. Jesus, I trust in you. My Lord and my God. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's so many. We can take one from Psalm 139. You discern my thoughts from far away. You know my thoughts. Wonderful. Wonderful thing to remind ourselves of. That God knows everything about us. And he knows it with his love. He knows it with his providence. Where can I go from your spirit? There's so many things we can use to talk to our Lord throughout the day. To dialogue with him in a way that keeps us very much in his presence. That keeps him 
at the center. Lord, we've left all things and follow you. Lord, we want to hear you call us. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We go to Our Lady. And we can only imagine, especially after the Annunciation, right? Especially after Our Lady knows that Jesus, the Son of God, is, is in her womb. It's inside of her. We can only imagine the strong sense of God's presence that Our Lady enjoyed. And after his birth and when he was growing up and then later in his public life, that Jesus was always a reference point for Our Lady. She was always aware of what he needed, always aware of what he wanted from her, always aware of what he was doing, trying to be aware as much as possible of what he was concerned about, so she can make those concerns her own. He became the center of her life. And so we can ask Our Lady in our own way, help me to have the same closeness to our Lord as much as possible, that He too be this reference point for my life, as He was for you, as He was also for those first apostles. Our Lady, our Mother, Queen of the Apostles, Pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.